Well, we're certainly glad that you've joined us again. This is Ross and Bob, and welcome to Worldview Matters. Bob, uh, great to be with you again. Doing well? I am, Ross. It's always a pleasure and a, and a privilege to be with you, and I know we've got a lot of great things to talk about on this on this show. Absolutely. A lot of things have happened during this week, even. You know, we ended up our show last time talking about Islam, and we, we said that there are a couple of theistic worldviews. Uh, Christianity is one, Islam is another. And as we saw uh, just in the last few days, the President of the United States spoke at the UN, and again, he raised the issue of Islam, and he talked about there being non-competing but overlapping worldviews. He talked about, didn't use the word worldview, but overlapping religions, and the, he intimated that they were fairly equal and in the United States. He did say that there were a lot of similarities, and more similarities than there were differences, and so maybe that's a good launch point that we talk a little bit about whether he was right or wrong, and if he was right, let's talk about where he was right. If he was wrong, let's talk about where, where he was wrong. And does that really matter? Well, you know, that was a great self-pitch to me to remind our listeners that we believe that worldview does indeed matter. It matters. In, it, it's an incredibly important concept. And just since this is uh, our sixth or seventh show, I've lost track, Ross. It might be good to go back and just remind our listeners that a worldview is basically the way that we look at the world around us. It's the lens, if you will, through which we view reality. There are certain fundamental beliefs that are associated with our worldview. And by the way, everybody has one. Everybody has a worldview. It may not be a very cogent, uh, uh, fundamentally uh, articulated worldview, but we all have one. And we've in the past talked about some of the primary worldviews that have been uh, kicked around in the marketplace of ideas in Western civilization. And theism is one of those worldviews. And there are three basic religions that are predominant in America, in the West, that hold to theism. Christianity is one, Judaism is another, and Ross, as you pointed out, and as our president pointed out, Islam is a third theistic worldview. And you're exactly right. Uh, he, he did make that point that, the, that Islam is a theistic uh, a, we fo a, a religion that follows one God similar to Christianity and similar to Judaism. And there are some overlapping, actually several overlapping tenets in these, in these particular religions. But as we may talk about either in this show or the next one, there are also some real differences embedded in these worldviews as well. Yeah, and, and the question I guess remains is, do we focus on the differences or do we focus on the similarities? Because when you get down to it, uh, there can be some significant differences in one or two areas that can completely negate one being an overlap of the other. And that's really what we're talking about. It, it, the sense was that the president was trying to put on a level playing field Islam and Christianity. If you go back a few years, he talked about uh, Islam being here at the beginning and always being a part of the fabric of the United States. And certainly he came under significant amount of fire for that particular position. 
And so the question is, is that, uh, was he accurate in that position? Well, you know, it's really interesting to me that I think before 9-11, most Americans, maybe most people in Western societies had very little working knowledge of Islam. Uh, they, they may have, have met, uh, you know, a Muslim at, at their place of business or maybe in a, at a at a at a at a, uh, a retail establishment, but I think if you ask your average American uh, before 9/11, uh, what you know, what was the religion of Islam? I think very few could articulate uh, a, a a real general understanding and and a definition of what it was. But that's all changed, hasn't it? Yeah, and and you know, I think I would probably put myself in that category. I, I have for some time as a Christian. Uh, talked about, thought about, prayed for uh, people of the Muslim religion, and there have been missionaries sent out from Christianity to convert Muslims, just as there have been in the reverse way. But I think I probably looked at Islam as a fairly benign religion that could uh, coexist fairly easy with Christianity. 9-11 changed all that and then the and you know it wasn't really 9-11 because there were a number of instances where predominantly well altogether muslim people attacked a number of things go back to the ship the cold the first time that uh the world trade center was attacked by the blind sheik or the people who followed him so there was there were a lot of places where that occurred but 9-11 really galvanized i think uh, all of the United States in terms of a, a perspective of looking at Islam as a worldview. Yeah, you could probably, like you said, go back even further than 9-11, all the way back to when Jimmy Carter was president and the uh, the Shah of Iran was toppled and, and an Islamic state emerged, uh, just now the current, current day Iran. And I think even then, but largely I think most Westerners we're, we were busy with our own lives, our own our own worldviews, and we didn't look at Islam as being a competing worldview. When in reality, it has been throughout really a lot of Western culture. I mean, you know, any student of history, you know, has done a study of the Crusades when, uh, you know, there was a a, a militant conflict between worldviews, and uh, you know, in, in the the tenth century, the ninth century. Um, but but also on a more on a more positive note, um, Muslim scholars and scientists and acad- acad- academics have had a profound impact on Western culture. The zero was developed from um, Muslim um, um, mathematicians, and so you know there's a lot that we can celebrate, a lot that we can uh, we can appreciate from the contributions of Islamic culture throughout the centuries. And you know, it's interesting. I, I was in, in college some years ago, and at that time, what is, com- what is current day Iran was Persia. And that, that, of course, was before the Shah was dethroned and, and what have you. But I, I had a very good friend in my engineering classes, and I lost track of him after graduation. And over the course of the years, I began to wonder where he was, and so I looked for him. One day in my college paper, he had written uh, a note uh, to tell what he was doing, and he graduated the same time I did. So I called the college and said, I'd like to get in touch with him. They said, we'll contact him, have him contact you, which he did. So we've communicated 
over the past three or four years, I guess. And we do so about every month by email. And uh, we have tried to determine, and I have talked to him by phone a couple of times. We've tried to determine a way that we could get together. Certainly, he can't get in the U.S., I can't get in Iran. And if I wanted to, I, 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 I don't want to, couldn't if I wanted to, but there's a possibility of meeting in Europe at some point in time. But I've always shared with him my Christian faith. He was in my home back where I was raised in Tennessee. And uh, so I've always shared my faith. He has not come back and talked much about his faith, but he always says we serve the same God. It's all the same. We just look at it slightly differently. Well, I think that probably there is a uh, interception, possibly, of emails, and so he may be afraid to engage in a much deeper discussion of religion. But I remember looking at it at that time, and I, I knew very little, if anything, about Islam. And uh, we never had any conversations. I kicked myself about that because I, I didn't at that time share my faith as I should have. Well, and as you pointed out, you know, if you're looking to build relationships with people, and this is just, I think, a, a, a human trait, if, if you want to establish a relationship with someone, you look for as many points of commonality as you possibly can. And people that we're normally friends with, we have those points of commonality. That does not mean, however, that we have to agree about everything. I'm married to one of the most phenomenal women on the face of the earth. I love her in every single way that anybody can love anybody else. However, we disagree about college football teams. <laughs> I am a Tennessee a volunteer, and she is a Florida Gator, and we have great relationships for 51 weeks out of the year. But on that third Saturday in September, we don't say much to each other in forms of what we really think is very important. And but we've got a great relationship because on the on the important things we do agree. And here's the thing: I, I think our president, going back to your opening comments, I think our president who is entrusted with trying to, you know, keep the peace in the world, one of the things he, I hope he's trying to do is looking for ways that he can establish commonality with the Western, the Western states, the Western democracies, and the, uh, and, the, and the Islamic states. And so he's trying to say, and I, I applaud him for this. I think we all should. He's trying to say there's a lot of things that we have in common. And you know what, Ross? He is right in the sense that both Christianity and Islam purport to follow one God who is the creator. And in that sense, I think we can say Allah basically is the, the Arabic form of God. You know, we get our English form of God more from the German than we do from, from the Arabic, but it's the same word. In fact, most Arabic Christians today, when they pray to God, they, pray, they call him Allah. And so in one sense, we do serve, we do look to one creator God, but there are some very distinct differences as well. And as we get into this program and maybe, maybe other programs, we can talk about things that we do have in common, but also some very, very core beliefs that really are different. And many of those, as we've talked about in the past, Ross, center on the person of Jesus Christ. And we'll come back and talk more about that maybe later. Yeah, that's probably, that's the key point, and that becomes the main differentiating point between uh, Christianity, well, it's really between the three, three 
three theistic worldviews. You're exactly right. Jesus Christ is the one issue. And the question is, from a Christian standpoint, what do you do with this guy Jesus? You gotta gotta figure out what box you put him in, or what, uh, where, how you see Jesus, and uh, that's that's the key thing. Well, let's go back to the things that are are the same. Yeah, yeah there, there, and and there really are many things that are the same. For example, for yeah, example, um, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, buddy. Well, that's okay. I was just going to say, let's talk about very specifically what some of those are. And you, you were starting. Go ahead. Well, Muslims are monotheists. They believe in a creator who is Lord. In fact, the word Muslim um, translated means submitted to God. That's really what it what it's all about. Muslims are people who are submitted to the one God, the creator God, the supreme Lord. And as, a, as theists, they would reject naturalism as a worldview. And most Christ, well, Christians do also. We've talked about naturalism as one of our worldviews that we were going to talk about. In the, uh, we did talk about it in one of our past shows. We're going to unpack it in one of our future shows. But naturalism as a worldview basically says there is no creator. Everything has evolved from nature. We would be in agreement with Muslims and they with us about rejecting naturalism as a worldview. They would reject polytheism or many gods as a worldview, which would rule out most of the New Age movement and most Eastern religions. In fact, uh, Muhammad really uh, developed his theology, his view of God, in response to most of the polytheism that was going on in Mecca in the in the late 6th century. So we would agree about rejecting polytheism. Muslims believe, Islam believes in angels, good and bad. They would put them into two categories as being angels and jinn, but basically they believe that uh, jinn can be bad angels. In fact, Satan, they have a view of Satan as being a fallen jinn, a fallen created being, and we would look at that and go, wow, that sounds an awful lot like some of our theology, and, and they would be right, and we would be right. They hold to absolutes. They believe that there is a basis for law and order. You and I, Ross, have had a lot of discussion recently about postmodernism, and one of the traits of postmodernism is that it is rejecting absolutes. We'd be on the same side of the aisle with Muslims in that order. And there are some other things, too. Yeah, and I think the thing that he focused on was not as much uh, in the in the clinical definition of certain things that are similar from a belief standpoint. He talked about more of the social issues, I think, which was— and, and these are basic, the things you just talked about, the, monothe- the rejection of monotheism and polytheism and acceptance of angels and understanding about Satan and absolutes, moral absolutes. Uh, but he said, you know, we're, we're all trying to seek the thing, same thing. We want to get along with each other. We have a tolerant society. So now you've, you've injected two things that he says are the same, and one is this area of tolerance and the other is that we all want to get along with each other, and there's no desire to harm the other one. So we accept the fact that the other one has a different viewpoint, and we accept that openly. Now I think you begin to get some conflict on those issues. Would you agree? I would, and, and I think, and, but you have to also, in fairness, and I think we need to, in fairness, say to all of our our uh, Muslim listeners, that you and I are not Muslim scholars. 
I'm not sure I'd use the word scholar to define either one of us in any sense of the word, mm-hmm. but we're not Muslim scholars. So there's a lot of things that in the finer nuances of Muslim theology, we may not fully understand. But I think what he was trying to say, and I think it would be fair to say this, that the average Muslim, the, the, the majority of Muslims, are not out to be jihadist. They're not. They're, they're out to do the same thing that you and I want to do every day. They want to love their families, and uh, Islam has an incredibly high view of the family. They want to reject immorality. They want to inject worldliness. You and I have had conversations about that, you know, in private, about how that's the very thing that we want to do also. I think they would, they would see some of the things that you and I think are threats to our Christian theism, they would see as threats to their Islam, Islamic theism. I think some of the things that you and I hold dear, they would agree with. I think they, the same way that we might hold, a, uh, we might be feel threatened by some of the modern views of abortion or the banning of school prayer or the removal of the Ten Commandments from public places or the redefining of marriage. They might not come down on every one of those issues the same way that we do, would, but I think they see Western culture, Islam sees Western culture as being a threat to their way of life, and as such, they are threatened by that. They're, they want to defend that. Some of them want to defend it with bullets. I don't think most do, though, and I think that's what our president is trying to focus on, and you know, we need to, if we possibly can, find a common place to stand, however— this is a big however. This is a big however. There, is a, there are some in the Muslim community that do espouse jihad, and they espouse it as being, that since they see the West as a threat to their way of life and to their religion, that gives them a right, no more than a right, a responsibility to make war on those who would threaten them. Well, now, now you're getting down to, to a, major, a major difference because— it, you would you say that for a Muslim to seek peace and have a degree of tolerance, let's say, for a differing worldview of a theistic Christian, would you say that that's a violation of their own um, Quran? Well, I think I think you've got to go back to the five pillars of Islam. There are five things that. Every, every Muslim who is going to be a faithful Muslim needs to adhere to. He needs to be able to, to with, with a clear conscience, recite the creed that, uh, you know, God is one, Allah is one, and Muhammad is his prophet. He would have to be devoted to the daily prayers, the five times a day that he, uh, uh, reciting verses from the Quran, would uh, draw closer to God through his prayer life. I think that he would be devoted to almsgiving, the caring for the lesser uh, member of society who's poor and needs help. Uh, He would need to to subscribe to that, that the people who've got means have an obligation to help those who don't have means. He would subscribe to fasting during Ramadan, during the, the holy month. He would fast from sunup to sundown, and he would devote himself to drawing near to God during that season of prayer. And he would try to, if he possibly could, during his lifetime, make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Now, every Muslim who follows the teachings of Muhammad would would, uh, subscribe to those five pillars. 
There are some, though, who would add a sixth pillar. And this is a minority of the Sunnis, but they would say that they're also committed to jihad. Uh, and, and they would describe jihad as being to struggle in the way of God. That's really what jihad means. It means a struggle. But it literally means to do everything you possibly can to exert your utmost power and effort in contending with those who would not be submitted to God. Now, in fairness, and we're trying to be fair here, in fairness, I think that every jihadist doesn't load uh, an AK-47 or fly a plane into a building. Most jihadists would say, I need to do war on my own rebellion against God. You and I would probably agree with that, wouldn't we? We'd say, yeah, every day I want to get up and uh, the, the biblical term for that would be to, I want to crucify myself daily. I want to do war against my flesh. That's the Christian equivalent of that. And there's some jihad, some Muslims who would look at that as being their jihad. Some would be, it would be doing war against the devil. Uh, you know, you and I would agree with that, wouldn't we, as Christians? There's a warfare that we do against Satan every day. But there are some that would say we have an obligation to do war against the enemies of Islam. That's any nation state that does not recognize Islam as being the supreme and ultimate revelation of who God is, that they are their enemies. And of course, they may be few, but it seems like their number is growing in our current situation, doesn't it? Well, now that's interesting because as a Christian, I believe in, um, I believe that Jesus Christ is the one way to God and to heaven. So, I have a view. I have a view that the way that I believe is the right way. They have a view that the way they believe is the right way. Is there not a difference here that a certain sect of Islam's feel that it's their responsibility to do away with me because of my worldview, whereas my responsibility, as I see it, is certainly not to do away with a with a Muslim. It may be to convert them or share their uh, faith with them. But them coming to a belief in Jesus is not um, a sole purpose of mine, nor would I take it on myself to kill one who did not come to my way of thinking or to that to the well, Christian monotheistic worldview. Absolutely. And, of course, that would also go against all the tenets of Jesus Christ. Jesus says that we should love our enemies and pray so for now those the question who would is, persecute. Does that go against the teaching, let's say, of Muhammad? Well, it, the, I, I think the answer to that, and I'm not a Muslim cleric, so you have to realize that, but I think the answer to that would be it depends on your translation and your, your I'm sorry, your interpretation of, of the Quran and of the Hadith and all the other teachings of, of the Muslim faith. And there are, I think it's fair to say, I think this is what our president has been trying to say, that the large majority of Muslims, of the, of the 1.7 billion, well, wow, that's an astonishing number, isn't it? The 1.7 billion Muslims in the world today, 25% almost of the world's population, the majority of them are not going to try to kill someone who disagrees with their faith. They're not. But it doesn't take but a few well-armed minority people to make a big difference in our day. 
as we know that. happened on on September, you know, in in, in uh, on nine eleven. You know, that's interesting that you say that because twenty five percent is one number, one point seven billion is another number. That's six times the size of the population of the United States. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, uh, Islam is, and I'm not sure that most Americans realize that. There may be only probably, I think the latest report says there may be 8 million Muslims in America of a nation of 350 million, but there are 1.7 billion Muslims around the world. I mean, that's... That's that's substantial, isn't it? Yep. And and see, and I think you know to go back to to the to the points of commonality. There are points of commonality, and I think that of the one point seven, the vast majority of Muslims would say that you and I have a right to not believe like they do, and God's going to sort that out at the judgment. They believe in the judgment. They believe in the second coming of Christ. Muslims. Uh, the- theologically, you know, line up with us on a lot of points about about things. They're they're looking to a judgment seat. They believe that at the judgment, God's going to sort these things out, and they're perfectly content with allowing Him to do that at the end of time. But some, few, but very influential uh, clerics. Are saying that we have uh, that Islam has a right and responsibility to declare war on the West because for two reasons. Some is an evangelistic proselytizing motive that uh, uh, Islam is the uh, is the is the best is the best nation brought out for mankind. I'm quoting directly from the Quran here. You are the best nation brought out for mankind commanding what is righteous and forbidding what is wrong. And as at, because of that, Islam has a responsibility to be proselytizing the whole world. So there is, a, there is a, that kind of, a, of an expansionist theology embedded in Islam. Okay. I think also... Go ahead, yeah. I think also those, there's a defensive mechanism that they see the West, the decadent West, the, the fallen West, the parts of Western culture that you and I would go, hey, I agree with those guys. Uh, pornography is evil and wrong. Divorce is evil and wrong. Promiscuity is evil and wrong. Greed is evil and wrong. I mean, we would, we would, you know, abortion is evil and wrong. You know, marriage outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, we would look at that and go, we probably might would come down on the same side of theology with a lot of Muslims, and they see what's happening in the West, in our, in our free society, as being a, prom, a permissive, promiscuous society and a threat to their worldview and a threat to their culture. Okay, now i tell you what. I think we've come to a point. We're, we're approaching the end of uh, this particular show, and I think it's a great launch point for what we may talk about next week, but... Because I've got a number of questions here. I'll prepare you for those. Number one is uh, the Sunni portion of the Muslim faith. Is that the only one that contains jihadist? If they want to do the right thing, tell me what it is about the way that women are treated and the things that women are not allowed to do 
and uh, the the very harsh way with which women are treated in that particular society. So that's a that's a beginning point. So maybe we can start there next time. We're we're at the end of our thirty minute show, and this is a great point to end. Bob, so great to be with you as it always is. I want to thank J.P. Span for all he does for this show and other th- other shows on Big Brains Media. We love coming together and talking about worldview. Bob and I talk about this a lot. We have a this is this is sort of like a a picnic for us being able to talk about it for before hopefully a larger and larger audience. But it's a it's a great topic. Uh, we have some strong opinions. We debate these opinions among each other with each other quite a lot. We hope you'll come and debate along with us. But Bob, great being with you. Look forward to next week. We've got a great point to start from. And uh, thanks for being with you, my brother. You too, Ross. It's always a joy to be with you.